probably the most famous, definitely sermon, probably the most famous speech ever given in the history of the world. Uh, People who don't even know where Matthew is in the Bible refer uh, to things that are in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, there's tons of material in here. We're going to slow down a little bit. We've been moving through Matthew relatively quickly. We're going to slow down a bit, uh, take some time. Uh, This morning, we're going to look at the Beatitudes. It's the first 12 verses in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm going to read them to you, and then we're going to go back and look at them one at a time. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word blessed that we just read ten times uh, in the Bible, it's fortunate, happy, Um, free from worry, people who live in God's favor. That's kind of the connotation for the word blessed. Happy is not a great uh, translation for us because happiness usually we tie into um, emotion and circumstances. But that happy, fortunate, again, free from worry, living in God's favor, that's um, who these Beatitudes, that's what Jesus is talking about. Every society has a group that they call blessed, and it's different depending on the culture. I would say in our culture, there's a there's a very definite group of people who are called blessed. I'll, I just looked at the cover of some of the most popular magazines just for September, and you can see, just looking at the covers of these magazines, who we consider to be blessed. You can see that with people who are powerful and connected. They're blessed because they can get things done. The next one, I think, what do we have? People who are thin and beautiful. This is a huge one for us. Next, people who are rich and glamorous. They're blessed. They live a better life than the rest of us do. People who are athletic. People, let's see the next one. People who are, it doesn't really matter why you're famous. Just be famous and you're blessed. The world is open to you. It doesn't matter if you're famous for being a cheat or whatever it is you're famous for. The next one. And I think this is the thing for me. These are actually two, um, two of the top ten selling teen magazines, and I didn't have to cherry pick any of this, but our society also tells our children who the blessed are. And if we're not telling them, Jesus says, here's my picture of who's blessed. And if we're not telling our kids, there's plenty of other people who are more than willing to tell our kids who are blessed. And uh, we have a responsibility as a church. I'm not talking strictly to parents. I'm actually speaking to the broader church community. We have a responsibility to our children as well to speak to them about who is blessed because there's plenty of people out there who are more than happy with them being superficial, insecure, neurotic shells of people because that puts money in their pocket if that's how our children are. And the same thing is true for us. And so we need to get a handle on who Jesus says is blessed because it's contrary uh, to who our society says is blessed. One other thing on the Beatitudes before we begin to look at them uh, in more detail. These are not entrance requirements uh, for the kingdom of heaven. These aren't uh, badges that we wear. These aren't 
uh, ideals that we have to attain. And if we don't, then we're not in. Uh, We talked last week. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The precondition for entering the kingdom of heaven is repentance. It's a turning. Recognizing I'm walking in the wrong direction and deciding I want to rock walk in the correct direction repentance is completely internal there is fruit that comes from it john the baptist and jesus both expected there to be fruit if we truly repented but repentance in and of itself is just a changing of your heart it's a recognition if you don't like that word repent it's a coming home i recognize i'm i'm not where i need to be and i want to go home that internal decision that you make that is repentance and that is the only requirement for entering into the kingdom of God. He comes quickly once we say in our hearts, I want to go home. He's there. The Bible says very clearly, he's knocking at the door of our hearts. And all we have to do is say, you know what? I want you to come in. And he will do the rest. So don't hear these beatitudes or as we move into the Sermon on the Mount in the coming weeks. It it can feel oppressive as we read through these things. I'm never going to be that. I'm never going to be that. Well, one, you're right. You're never going to be that this side of heaven. But that's not what it's about. These are not, again, these aren't requirements for us in order to be in a relationship with God. Uh, Jesus says, what does he say? Uh, His disciples, when he he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside, his disciples came to him. He's talking to people who've already made a decision to follow him, to people who are already aligned with him, to people who are already in the kingdom. And so what do the Beatitudes become then? I would say they're not even... um, Values that we need to attain as Christians. I think it's just a statement of reality. Jesus is saying these are the people who are blessed. And it's so contrary to who normally we consider. The people who we normally would consider blessed. That he's making a point. On the front end. This is how you guys keep score. And this is how I keep score. And they're different. So I just want you to know going in. The people who I see in my eyes as blessed. It's not the same as the folks Y'all see, these reflect the values of the kingdom, and they're also encouraging. For those of us who've made a choice to align with Jesus, there are times where we think we've just put a bullseye on our back. We feel like we're uh, in the crosshairs in a lot of ways, and there's a bunch of stuff kind of coming at us. And there are times where we think, gosh, my life might have been a little better if I hadn't have made this decision. If you go back and read Exodus, that's what the Israelites said. It was better for us in Egypt than it is out here wandering in a desert, there can, that's a, a common uh, sentiment, a common feeling we can have, uh, not initially when we become Christians, but we kind of hit this lull at some point um, relatively early in our Christian life. There's this lull, and it can be uh, easy for us to kind of look back longingly and say, well, if I hadn't made this decision, things would have gone better for me. Things would have been easier for me if I hadn't said yes. And what Jesus is saying here is these are some promises for you as well. When you're experiencing difficulty under the rule and reign of God, know that that is just temporary. There's good things to come. So let's look at these one at a time. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor in spirit, those are people who recognize their need for God, a dependent. People who know they don't have it in and of themselves to achieve anything religiously or spiritually. This is a countercultural statement. Uh, for Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit. The people who heard this for the first time, they would have said, you know who gets the, inherits the kingdom of God? It's the most religious among us. It's the guys that follow the rules the best. It's the guys who've memorized the Old Testament. It's the guys who fast twice a week. It's the guys who give a tenth of everything they have. Those are the guys who inherit the kingdom of heaven. 
or who, and what Jesus is saying, no, it's the poor in spirit. It's those who recognize they don't have anything in and of themselves. It's the prostitutes and the tax collectors, the sinners who he said he came to rescue. Those are the ones. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. Why? Because they recognize they need help. For us, we may say, well, blessed are the self-reliant, for they get what they earn. They get what they deserve. They get what they've worked for. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people who recognize their neediness, who realize that apart from Jesus, apart from a Savior, they're sunk. Actually, this is a a difficult concept, I think, for us in our society to get. We're not used to asking for help. Asking for help is a sign of weakness. None of us want to be weak. Therefore, we try to do things on our own. The whole pull yourselves up by your bootstraps idea. That's not kingdom. Kingdom is I need help. I recognize it, please come and rescue me. And until we develop that heart, we won't, the kingdom of heaven won't be ours because we can't achieve it, we can't attain it, we can't grab onto it by our own righteousness, by our own effort, any of those types of things. These beatitudes also, they reflect reality. He's not just saying these are the guys who are blessed. You can flip it and see, well, if these are the guys who are blessed, then who's miserable? And I would say with this, you could say the same thing. It's not just for our society. We might say blessed are the self-reliant. I think what Jesus would also say, it's not just blessed are the poor in spirit. He'd also say miserable are those who try to live independent of God. Miserable are those who don't recognize their need for a Savior. Because if you don't recognize your need for a Savior, guess what? You don't get a Savior. And that means you're on your own. If you cut yourself off from the source of all good things, what do you have left? No good things. God does not force himself upon any of us. He is more than willing to come. He, is, he desires when he is requested. He always shows up. He is more than willing to rescue us. But we have to say, I need help. He does not force himself Upon us, And if we're going to choose to live independent of him, if we're going to choose to not acknowledge that we need a savior, then we don't get one. And I'm not just talking initially with him. I mean, ongoing every place that we set up in our own heart pridefully. I don't need God in that area of my life. Then you don't get God in that area of your life. Maybe, you know, this personally, maybe you've uh, talked with people who've experienced this. We kind of we can create we can. uh Set ourselves up for failure with these vows that we make. I will never fill in the blank. A lot of times it's based on something we've seen our parents do. And we say, I will never, whatever that is. I will never walk out on my wife. I will never talk to my children this way. And what we've done in that place is we've said, this is something that I'm going to do on my own. And so we cut off the grace of God from that area of our life. And guess what happens? You will. You tell me what you'll never do. And let's make a bet on whether you do. And I'll call you when it's time to collect. Every time. Because you've you've said, in this area of my life, I don't need the grace of God. I don't need a Savior. I'm righteous enough, strong enough. I have enough willpower. I'm smart enough. I'm whatever enough. That in this area of my life, I can do it on my own. And there's no area of life where we can for long. I'm never going to need anybody. Yes, you will. I'm going to always take care of myself. No, you won't. Whatever those vows are that we make, and again, most of them we make rashly when we're 
12, 13, 14, 15 years old, we've seen something and we've said it's hurt and I'm never going to do that. And it sets up again this place of pride in our heart. It's just the clock has started on when you're going to fall into the same area because you've cut yourself off from the grace of God. So it's not just blessed are the poor in spirit. It's miserable are those who don't recognize that they're poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Again, this is uh, counterintuitive for Jesus's first audience. Um, for them, it was a one-to-one. If you were doing poorly in life, it was because God was judging you because of some sin you had committed. So if you're struggling in life, it's your fault. It's almost like a karma in action here. You, you're poor. Something happened with your children. You're blind. Any of these things, it's because God is punishing you for your sins. You can see that in John 9. We don't have time to look at it, but there's a man born blind, and the disciples say, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus doesn't, he says, neither. It has nothing to do with that at all. But that's, that's the thinking. So there's no way you can be blessed if you're mourning. If you're mourning, it's because you've lost something. And if you lost something in this context, it's because God took it away. It's because you deserved it. So there's no way to say you're living under the favor of God when you're actually living under the judgment of God. Again, it's counterintuitive for them to hear blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. For us kind of where we live, I would say it's blessed are those who are carefree. Uh, we saw those pictures. It's the rich and the famous and people that don't have to clean their own bathrooms. And th- those are the people who are blessed. People who don't have a care in the world, who can up and go, who aren't tied down, who don't have aging parents or young children or whatever these things are that can cause pain in our life and that can cause sorrow for us. Jesus says, no, it's not that way at all. And again, if you look at the flip of this, it's not just that he's saying blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are grieving either for something they've lost personally or they're grieving at what they see in our world. They're grieving at the evil and the injustice that they see in the world. Either one of those is a legitimate cause for mourning, personal loss or, again, kind of mourning for the state of affairs in our community. He says you're miserable If you don't mourn, you're miserable if you live so detached from other people that you can't. C.S. Lewis says the only sure way to not feel pain is to not love because they go together. The deep attachments that make love and joy possible also produce sorrow, grief, pain, and mourning. You can't have one without the other. So if you've decided, again, if you've made the vow, I'm not going to hurt, then I'm going to tell you you're not going to love either. You'll be miserable. You're going to live detached from significant and meaningful relationships. There's no way to share your heart with people and have them share their heart with you that you're not going to experience mourning at some point. There's no way to love your city and to not mourn for it on some level because there's going it, you opening yourself up to love others whether that's very specific people or loving more like I'm loving the city or whatever, you opening yourself up in that way is opening yourself up to feel pain and to mourn. And, you'll, and Jesus says, you'll, you'll be comforted. It's future tense. You will be comforted. Many of these beatitudes, he doesn't say I'm going to fix it now. The first and the last, he says, there's a present tense. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says to the poor in spirit, you can enjoy that right now. 
All of these in between are future tense. You will be comforted. We can experience some measure of comfort now, but it's not going to be fully fixed until Jesus comes back because people are going to continue to die. And there's going to continue to be effects of sin in our own life and in our community. There's constantly going to be things that we can mourn or things that we will mourn. And so that just needs to be an expectation for us going in. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek, humble, uh, not aggressive, back-of-the-line people. I'm not saying it's people who stand in the back of the line. It's people who move to the back of the line. They're not pushing uh, for what's theirs. They're not pushing for their rights. This, to me, is about is probably the most un-American of all of the Beatitudes. We say, you know, you take life by the horns, you get what's yours, you got to stand up, and all of those types of things. You can't be a doormat. That type of idea and meekness moves in the opposite direction of all of those things. We would say blessed are the aggressive for they, they get what's theirs. They don't necessarily take more than what's theirs, but they they get their rights. They know what their rights are and they hang on to that because it's fair. So blessed are the aggressive. Jesus says, no, blessed are the meek guys who get in the back of the line, the unaggressive, the humble. And what he would also say is miserable are we if we go fighting for our rights miserable are those who 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 are aggressive in terms of pushing their personal agenda because you're going to lose all of it there's only two choices we're building a life in the spirit or we're building a life in the flesh and everything we build in the flesh burns that's first corinthians 3 11 through 15 that that's just the way it, those things the things that we do in the flesh even if they're good things They're not eternal because they're done from a temporal place, from our flesh, not from an eternal place, the spirit. They're built with the wrong material, and so they're going to burn. They can't pass through the fire of judgment. Again, you can read 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. So the wheelers go to Turkey, and they're doing great work. If they do it in their flesh, it doesn't last. It burns. All of it. They're doing the Lord's work. It doesn't matter. If it's in the flesh, it all burns. The only stuff that makes it through are the things that we do in the spirit, which is I'm letting I'm I'm not pushing my agenda. I'm not fighting for my way. I'm not pressing for my rights. I'm willing to get in the back of the line. I'm willing to become second instead of first. That's what it looks like to be meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I think this one can be tricky. Uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness, that can almost sound, that can sound legalistic. Blessed are the rule followers. Blessed are those who are always checking on other people to make sure that they haven't sinned in any little way. We know that has, Jesus was never accused of that. He was accused of being the opposite, so we don't need to look at it um, as these moral accountants who are going around keeping track. Of everyone, I think it has to do with the desire to see God's kingdom established. His His rule is righteous, and those who want to see His rule established in their own life and in their community—that's that's our desire. When we talk about community transformation, that's what we're speaking to. We want to see God's kingdom come. We want to see His rule and His reign in our community. That's what we're hungering and thirsting for. That's the desire of our heart. We will be filled. Again, there's a future tense element. We said last week there's an 
already we can experience some of it, not yet. We won't fully experience the kingdom of God until Jesus returns. But there's a promise there that we will be filled. I would say what maybe a a way that we look at that is we would say, well, blessed are those who cut corners and who know how to play the game because they can actually get things done. These guys who are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, a lot of times their integrity gets in the way of actually making things happen and getting things done. And in our society, that's, we no, make it happen, efficient. Come on, it doesn't really matter how you do it, just get the job done. So if you know how to cut corners, if you know how to play the game, if you know how to use your connections, all of those kind of things to move the ball forward, well, you're the one who's blessed. Jesus would say miserable are those who are content with that type of uh, status quo uh, because you're going to be disappointed. So if you're someone, if we're people who say, you know what, so here it is, I'm in. And then there's this other standard, it's graduate level Christianity, not necessarily interested in that. I'm going to be fine in this kind of murky middle. I have just enough Jesus to make sure I don't burn but not enough that he's actually going to affect the choices that I want to make, the way I do business, the way I conduct myself in interpersonal relationships or whatever. We're fine kind of living in this murky middle, kind of the status quo. It's We live in a fallen world, and we can actually get comfortable with some slime on us in some ways. And we say things like that. Well, that's just business, which that's not true. There's no, where, I don't know where that is. It's just business, or you just don't know him. Or you just don't know her. And we can create all of these exceptions to, to God's kingdom coming. It's unrealistic. It's not fair. All of these things. And we can carve out these exceptions for how we do things. I think what Jesus would say is you're going to be miserable if you're fine with that. If you're fine kind of with that status quo, living, just allowing things to be as they are, not desiring to see change, not being willing to live as if, under the reign of a king, you're going to be miserable because this is what God is doing. His kingdom is coming. And so he is working those purposes into our community. He's working those things into our heart. There's an interesting passage in Acts where um, the Holy Spirit says to Paul, don't kick against the goads. And for us, if we're not willing to say, your kingdom come, your will be done, We're kicking against the goads. That's what God is doing. He's moving in this direction. And if we're not willing to move with him, if we're trying to, we're either content to stay as we are, even maybe swim upstream just a little bit, you're kicking against the goads. You're fighting against God. It's not going to be fun for anybody. He's eventually going to win, and you're going to be battered and bruised in the process. We don't want to settle in that kind of way. Some of us sometimes will look at other folks. It's interesting to me. When we compare our lifestyle to others, we often compare up. And that makes us become discontent. I look at somebody who makes more money than me. And so that makes me discontent with what I have. I look at somebody with a newer car or whatever that is. Spiritually, though, I tend to look down, which causes complacency in me. Well, at least I don't. Well, at least I'm not. Rarely do I look up spiritually at someone who's farther along than me, at someone who's more like Jesus than me. Well, they're just super holy. That's not, that's not, I can justify not looking up spiritually. It's an interesting dynamic. When it comes to our lifestyle, we look up, it causes us to be discontent. Spiritually, morally, we look down, which causes us to become 
complacent. None of that is hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pure in heart, again, that can sound uh, maybe kind of lend, tend toward this legalism. What does it look like to have a pure, to be pure in heart? Does that mean we never mess up or those kind of things? I don't think so. I think it's speaking to single-minded devotion. I'm committed. If you can get to the core of who I am, my, I'm committed to the Lord. That's what's in there. I'm not double-minded, as James may say. And those kinds of people, Jesus says, will see God. We might say, blessed are the chameleons. Blessed are the people who can read a room and know when to turn it on and when to turn it off. Blessed are the people who can talk to anyone in any situation. Blessed are the people who, uh, again, can get a feel for where folks are and not say anything or do anything that may rock the boat. Those are the guys who are blessed because they can fit in anywhere. And what Jesus would say to that, I think, is those people are actually miserable. You're not living from a place of integrity at all. That type of living, there's no... You're compromising when you do that. It doesn't mean that you've got to carry your Bible around everywhere you go or that you can only wear Christian T-shirts or those types of things. But it means that the core of who you... It, are you who you are everywhere that you are? Yes or no? Otherwise, you're going to be miserable. You're going to wind up losing yourself at some point, but you're going to be miserable because it's hard to keep up with all of those identities. When I'm with this person, I'm the fun guy, and I'm with this person, I'm the Christian guy, and when I'm with this person, it's hard to keep track of all of those different personalities and identities and ways of relating. It's much easier just to know who you are and to be that in all of these different circumstances. Otherwise, you're going to wind up miserable. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. That idea of being a peacemaker, it doesn't just mean you avoid conflict. Peace, particularly in the Old Testament, the word is shalom, and it means the presence of healthy relationships. That's probably the easiest way of understanding. It's a rich word. Uh, When we think peace, a lot of times we just think absence of strife, absence of war, absence of conflict. That's the first step. But it's not just what's not there, it's also what is there. Is there a healthy, whole, harmonious relationship? When it talks about being sons, sons resemble their father. And what Jesus is saying, if we go about doing that, being peacemakers, reconciling people to one another, being reconciled to them ourselves, then we resemble our father. I think maybe in our world we would say, Blessed are those who are contentious because then people are afraid of you. And if they're afraid of you, then you can make things happen, right? Walk softly and carry a big stick that you can whack somebody with. And once you whack them once and they know not to mess with you ever again, that's not being a peacemaker. That's intimidating other people. That's not bringing uh, peace into a situation. You're bringing uh, anxiety. If when you walk into a room, everybody locks up, you're not a peacemaker. You're not. If they're scared of you, even if you're their boss, if they're scared of you, you're not a peacemaker. You're, that's fear as a motivation. It can get some things done, but it's not righteous. It's not. Perfect love drives out fear, and you're thinking, you don't know who works for me. I, I don't. All I know is, 
kingdom dynamics work in every situation. They work in our homes, they work in our places of business, and they work in our community. And we don't want to, again, be people who function differently. That's that whole kind of status quo thing. That's not what we want to fall into. We want to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for God's kingdom to come in every sphere that we walk in. And so that means I'm not going to be someone who, I'm not going to throw my weight, whatever weight I have, I'm not going to throw it around. I'm not going to do that. I want to be someone who, when I walk into the room, everybody goes, it's safe. doesn't mean that you're not honest. It doesn't mean you're not direct. It doesn't mean you don't confront. It doesn't mean any of those things. What it means is you don't intimidate and you don't bluster. You're not contentious and aggressive. You bring your, again, you're safe. There's security when you're around because what you're working towards is reconciliation. And miserable are those who do the opposite. Why? Because at that point, you're not a son of God. If you're not working for reconciliation, then you're not working towards the purposes of God. And if we resemble, who do we resemble? Then we resemble the enemy who came to steal and kill and destroy. You're miserable if that's what you're doing. There are multiple ways to damage relationships. One of the biggest that we see in our community is just is gossip. It's just basic. Christianity 101. We talk bad about other people. And that destroys relationships. When we're doing that, we're not being peacemakers. We're not being, being, bringing reconciliation. And we're not functioning as sons and daughters of God. We're not resembling our Father in heaven who says love covers over a multitude of things. It just puts a blanket over it. We're going to snuff this out right here. We're stirring things up and fanning the flame and that type of thing. And that seems so minor to us. Aren't there much bigger fish to fry than gossip? I don't know. The Bible says God was reconciling the world to himself in Jesus. I'm not sure that there are very many things that are more important to him than relationship. And for those relationships to be reconciled is why he sent his son. And so if we're not cooperating with him in that, I don't know that that's good for us. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. The persecuted, those who suffer because of their relationship with Jesus. And that's the key. It's not just people who are suffering. It's suffering because your relationship to the Lord, because you're obeying him, you're being faithful to him, and it's causing some friction in your life. And he's saying you're blessed. Again, and countercultural for his audience, if you're experiencing suffering, it's because God is punishing you because you've done something wrong. And Jesus says, absolutely not. It could be because of your allegiance to me that you're experiencing suffering. And what we would say is, well, blessed are the people who are popular. The world's at their feet. That's the thing for where we live. That's reality TV. It's, all, it's just popularity. It doesn't matter what you need to do to get on the TV. The point is, get your 15 minutes. Because it's all about popularity. And once you're popular, then the world opens up for you. People who don't have any talent can live their whole life on being popular. And they don't even have to be popular for doing something good. Or for having character. You can be popular for being a scumball. And you can still be set for the rest of your life. That's where we live now. That's antithetical to the values of the kingdom where he says, no, you don't need to compromise those kinds of things. You need, it's he who stands firm to the end is saved. And you're miserable if you don't stand up for me. This is tricky. This is not works-based righteousness. It's interesting to me. Judas denied Jesus. And from what we can tell, 
There's no redemption for him. He hung himself, and it's not good. You're not going to see Judas in heaven from my reading of the New Testament. Peter denied Jesus three times, and he's the rock upon whom Jesus entrusts this massive ministry. Both of them failed at crucial points in their life. One of them is restored, one of them isn't. I think it's, it's a heart issue. Judas intentionally set about to betray Jesus. Peter was caught off guard. He wasn't ready, and he responded like a sissy. Those are two different things. So for us, it's not this pressure that says, I can never deny. It's not that at all. What's the condition of your heart? If you're following as well as you know, and you get caught tomorrow at work, or you get caught tomorrow in the grocery store, or wherever it is, and somebody asks you, in your response, you're thinking, oh my, afterward, I can't believe that was a door and I just walked right past it. They asked me something about my faith and I just whiffed or any of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I don't think that's what Jesus is referring to here. That, that's a Peter moment. And you need to be restored from that. And maybe there's some heart work that needs to happen. That's fine. That's not a Judas moment. That's not you intentionally setting about to betray and to deny. So I don't want you to hear that idea of, He who stands firm to the end, that is true as putting pressure on you that if you if you mess up at some point along the way, that God's going to cut you off. That's not it at all. It's a it's a condition of the heart. But you will be miserable. Think about Peter broke down and weeps bitterly because of what he's done. And so we do want to develop those deep roots in the Lord, that even when we're caught off guard by something, or even when a choice is difficult, we've got enough bank with God that we can say, I'm I'm sticking with you. Your credibility with me is such. My love for you is such. I'm I'm sticking. I'm not going to bail on this as well as I know myself. I'm not going to bail. Those are the Beatitudes. My encouragement, so what do you do with that? I don't necessarily think you go about saying, I'm going to try to figure out how to be poor in spirit. I'm going to try to figure out how to mourn and how to hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't know that that's, again, I don't think these are standards or these aren't ideals that we're trying to achieve. But I would say this is just reality. And so we want, that, we want to more just recognize as God is conforming you into the image of his son, this is going to be more and more your heart. As you become more like Jesus, you're going to recognize more and more your need for God. And as you love people more deeply, you're going to mourn. And as you get closer to God, you're going to hunger and thirst for his kingdom to come more intensely than you currently do. And as you live with integrity, you're going to experience some friction for that at some point in your life. You're going to, and and when you do, then it's going to be, well, are you going to extend mercy to those who were not merciful to you? All of these things you're going to wind up experiencing, not because you go after them directly, but because this is what God is making you in. Here's a picture of what your heart is going to look like as you're conformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So I would just say, just hold them out here, recognizing that's who you're becoming. You want to know what does it look like to become more like Jesus? It looks like this. And this is the work that he's doing in your heart. And you don't necessarily have to strive for that at all. That's just, that's what he's doing. This is what I would ask you to do with these Beatitudes. 
this idea of who's blessed. I want before you do whatever you're going to do for the rest of the day. If you're about to go eat lunch, talk. Here's something for you to talk about at lunch. But but whatever you're before you begin your day, this is what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself, what does success look like for me personally? All of us, nobody wants to be a loser. So all of us live towards our definition of success. Whatever the good life is in our mind, whatever it looks, whatever in our mind it means to be blessed, that's a direction that we live. Those are the choices we make are to move us in that direction. And if we haven't explicitly said this is what the blessed life is, then we're going to let somebody else define it for us. So don't, don't do the Sunday school answers. I want you to dig in and you need to tell somebody. So Brandon and Nancy go to brunch, then they need to talk about it. And they need to include their son. Here, this is, what does it look, you don't have to wake up. This is what it looks like for us to be blessed. This is, what does it look like for us to be blessed? What does it look like for the Brandon, for Nancy, and then for the Hutchins family to be successful? And they need to be on the same page. But even more than them being on the same page, they need to line that up with what Jesus says. This is who I'm blessing. This is who the blessed are in my world. And if and if those two pieces of paper don't match that's the area where some things need to that's where you need to begin to look where's the dissonance between success for you and success for him so don't again sunday school answers don't work because you're going to live towards what's truly in your heart not towards what you say so dig down again i'm going to i'll pick on the wheelers because they're leaving if for them success is 20 churches in Turkey and it becoming a Christian country in the next five years, then that's what they're going to lead towards. And if that doesn't happen, they're going to be devastated at the end of five years. And so they need to have that out here and they need to be able to say to the Lord, is that is that success for you? And what if he says, no, I want you to get to know your neighbors. That's success for me, for you living as Christians in a non-Christian environment. That's success for me. It reorients their approach to what they're doing. And so that's something that we, I think all it needs to be out there for us. And if you're very detail-oriented and you want to have it professionally and you want to have it personally, then that's fine if you want to do it in every area of your life. But you need to, you need to be able to have an, you need an answer to that question. Again, nobody wants to be a loser. And so it's important for us to say, this is what I'm living towards. This is what it looks like to be blessed. So I'm going to pray. Uh, Bo, you can come back. Lord, I thank you that you choose to bless those who we feel sorry for, honestly, most of the time. And people who we don't necessarily desire to be. It's just as an expression of your grace and that you've turned the values that we've drunk of totally on their heads. And so, God, my prayer for us as Husbands and wives and fathers and mothers and employees and employers and men and women and boys and girls and all of the different things that we are. Is that the thread running through all of that would be conformed more and more into the image of your son. That as we spend time in your presence, 
repenting, recognizing the areas of our life where we need to come home, the areas where we're not lined up with you, that you would make us poor in spirit, that as we experience pain in this world, we would know that we will be comforted, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. All of these different things, I pray, would begin to describe our reality. Again, not because we're going for them directly, but because we're going for you and this is what you're doing in our lives. And God, I do pray that our definition of success, our definition of blessed, would be the same as yours. That we wouldn't kick against the goads of what you're trying to do in our life. And that we would be honest enough to say, this is what this is what it looks like for me to win. And God, if it doesn't, if it's not congruent with what you say it, it, it looks like for us to win, God, I pray that we would have the grace, you give us the grace to submit our vision to yours. Right on, Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close with the time of ministry. We'll have ministry teams here up front. We'll pray with you about anything that you have going on. If you're struggling physically and you want to look